You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Genesis 16 is where we'll be this morning in our text. And uh, this, is, this is technically part of our Sunday morning series uh, in Genesis, but I, I'm going to attempt to preach a message with a focus on motherhood. So sometimes it's a little bit scary to try to do that and a little bit hard at times, but I, I am grateful for the way that the passage lined up with the day because I think there's, some, there's a couple simple truths, and I just want this to be simple this morning and a help and encouragement to our, to our moms in here um, men and those who are benefit from moms, don't, don't our mothers, in, uh, don't they deserve some encouragement? And uh, last thing I want to do is, is discourage a, a, a mother because I'm so thankful for the work, that the, uh, the effort that they put in. And um, I, I was going to ha- have my wife sing a song this morning um, that I wrote years ago called The Work of a Mother. And just wasn't able to, to play it like I wanted to, but it says, From the work of a mother... The heart of a child is turned toward the Father above. And what is more noble, yet often unknown, than molding a life with God's love? And meaning, there's all kinds of attention on everything else. And everything else gets all the attention and all the accolades. And yet the work going on in homes all over our our country and all around the world, that's the most important work happening. Because I think we've seen in our country that when we neglect the, uh, the installation of God's principles in the lives of young people, you know, our country is not headed the right direction. And it really, it's not a government problem. It's a home problem. And if we could get back in our homes to God's word, I think that really is where it needs to be coming from. So this is not a traditional or predictable Mother's Day message, but I think there's some helpful truth here. Let's read uh, beginning in verse 1. We read this last week. We're going to focus on the last half of the chapter, but I'll read the whole thing for context. Um, It says in verse 1, Genesis 16, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had in handmaid an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abraham, we looked at this last week, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her, almost like a surrogate mother. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy, thy maid is in thy hand, do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, She fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her, that's Hagar, found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. 
And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he, he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Some of you have sons, and verse 12 might need to be his new life verse. He will be a wild man. Verse 13, and she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Bir Lahiroi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore. And six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. That's 86 years old. First time dad, 86 years old. Can you imagine that? And uh, this is quite the story and one that really is a bruise in some ways on Abram's reputation. One they're still dealing with years later. But, but I want to focus on how God uses motherhood to illustrate a principle that I think will be a help to us today. And that is this. When we're driven by the culture, motherhood looks totally different than it's supposed to. But when a mother submits to God's process, she guarantees his blessings. The culture and God's way are at odds. And moms are deciding which direction they're going to go. Let's pray and ask God to help our time. Father, thank you for your, your word. I pray that you bless the reading of it. Bless our time. Help us to focus on you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Appreciate your standing for a while this morning. Mother's Day messages are tricky. And we, we all have a certain built-in image of motherhood. And maybe your image of motherhood is something like June Cleaver from Leave it to Beaver. And if you know it, if you remember anything about June Cleaver and you maybe Leave It to Beaver, I I've seen the reruns. I was not around when they were first aired, um, but you know June was the perfect mom. The hair was always perfect, and the makeup was flawless, and the kids' lunches were always ready, and supper always came out on time, and out of the oven looking perfectly cooked. Ward's clothes were always ironed without a wrinkle. And she gladly served in the kitchen with an apron and a smile. That's the way I think about June Cleaver from a show like that. And, and unless you, though, ever lived in a house with a mother or you've been a mother yourself, you know that's not exactly how it looks. Surprise. You know, and then you, you know that's, that's, it can be different. Reality isn't always the same as our perceptions. And maybe more often than not, reality is not like our perceptions. Sometimes lunches aren't packed on time and clothes aren't ironed. And there are times when dinner is burned and other times when you make something that looks like it would be delicious, but it turns out Pinterest is a liar. <laughs> so for those moms that stay at home, I know that was the most controversial thing I'll probably say all day. For those moms that stay at home, there are days that that all you want to, is just two minutes to be able to run a brush through your hair. Makeup is, is for church days. Sleep is as elusive as moments of silence. And 
You really wish your house was always drop-in ready, and it could be if you had two days' notice. But June Cleaver may have always had a smile, but you feel guilty sometimes that there are plenty of moments you don't feel like a smile. And that it's harder than you thought it might be. You know, being a mother is, it can be messy. And, and for others, I think, and this is, you know, serious and sober, Mother's Day is tricky because they didn't have a June Cleaver type experience growing up. You know, for some people, maybe even in this room, the memory of their mother uh, isn't always a positive memory. And the flaws of some mothers are difficult to overcome. And for others, maybe they weren't even raised by their mother. And so it still gets more complicated. And I hope that you'll understand um, as a church on Mother's Day, when we recognize it, uh, we know that not everybody had the same experience. It's also tricky because there are some who, who would love to be mothers and haven't been privileged to be a mother. And I don't bring things, these things up to make anyone uh, feel bad or for it to be difficult for anyone just to be aware of the fact that, that being a mother and, and motherhood is sometimes, and maybe more accurately than not, it's often messy. And before, though, you get too down on yourself, moms, let me just remind you of something, and that the Bible is full of messy people. And as a matter of fact, motherhood in the Bible was often less than ideal. I mean, Genesis 16 is a perfect example of that and, and the kind of mess that can accompany motherhood. We're talking here in this text, we're talking about Abram, the father of Israel, one of the key figures in all of the Old Testament. And, and this is the person that, that one of the key men in God's economy. And, and he and his wife, Sarah, have been promised these great blessings. And there's a covenant that's been promised to them. And a major part of the fulfillment of that covenant is that they would have children, and yet they can't. And we see them here. Again, key figures in God's economy. They're growing desperate to be, to be parents. And they, they take steps that, that many of us would never consider taking. And yet these two, in their 80s, know that God's promises are dependent on, on them having a child. And they feel the pressure. And because of that, then they reveal maybe their most desperate moment as parents or wanting to become parents. They know that a son is the only way for them to receive all the blessings. They know that a son is the only way for them to receive the covenant of Genesis 12 that, he has, that God has promised. But rather than trust God's provision, Sarai comes up with this plan for Abram. He goes to Abram and says, seeing as how I haven't been able to have children, maybe you should take my servant, my maid, Hagar, and you should treat her like your wife. And, and instead of taking the lead as the husband, like Abram could have, he, he, could have, he could have made a, a spiritual decision in that moment, but he chose not to. And he followed the, uh, the advice of his wife and treated Hagar like his wife. And, and in that moment, then she conceives and, and she's pregnant with a son. And as we could have all predicted in this account, this backfires very quickly. You know, Hagar becomes pregnant and she immediately resents Sarai. She looks at Sarai and basically says, I'm able to have kids and you're not. Looks down on her in a condescending way. Sarai responds with, with anger and she deals harshly with, with Hagar and she blames her husband Abram and, and pretty soon it's this it's just a mess. It's a, it's a Bible soap opera. It's just like all of these things going on and you think, you know, if they would have just trusted God's provision, they wouldn't be in this position. 
And even though the primary point, though, today is about, not about motherhood in this text necessarily, God uses motherhood to prove a point. And I want to try to make that to you this morning. And the first point that sets it up is that Hagar was a victim of cultural pressure. Hagar was a victim of cultural pressure and that we would all say that she's been treated unfairly. Abram and Sarai put her in a bad position. They were expecting her to be a mother according to cultural pressure. And I say that because last week we talked about how the fact that this plan that seemed like such a good idea um, was there because of the pagan societies around Abram and Sarah. They were looking at these pagan societies and they were seeing, oh, well, that man's taking more than one wife and that man's taking more than one wife and polygamy is practiced in that tribe over there and they started getting ideas by looking around at the culture. And yet, and I said it last week and I'll say it again, yet from the very beginning, God's plan has always been one man and one woman for life. And just because Abram is a key and prominent figure in God's economy, it doesn't mean that everything he does is condoned by God. God never once in Scripture condones polygamy. He never once in Scripture says that this would be the route to go if you, if you don't have children. If you want to work something else out, that'd be fine. No, he never condoned it. When God said in Genesis 1 that mankind would be fruitful and mankind would multiply, he meant that to be a part of a one-man, one-woman relationship for life. But Hagar's put in this position in which cultural pressure is directly uh, in impacting her and dictating how she operates as a mother. Now, Hagar, listen, she's not completely innocent. You know, she dealt wrongly with Sarai. She put herself at risk uh, by leaving her place and running into the wilderness, even great with child. And we'll, we'll talk about that more in a moment. But don't forget that Hagar did not choose this situation. Cultural pressure chose this situation for her. Look at verse 7. It says, and the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to shore. So Hagar flees into the wilderness and she stops at a spring. And while she's there, the angel of the Lord comes to her. Now, just, just so uh, you know, the angel of the Lord here is an Old Testament, Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. I believe that this is a theophany that you, would, you might call it. And that in Hagar, you say, well, how do you know this is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ? Well, she doesn't view him just like an angel. Look down in verse 13. It says, and she called the name of the Lord. See, that's a capital L-O-R-D, which is Jehovah. Um, that's, that's the Old Testament name of Jesus, of the Lord. It says, the name of the Lord that spake unto her, thou God seest me. So she calls him God. So she's looking at this angel that comes to her in some kind of a form, and, and I think probably it was a physical form. She, this angel comes, and, and, it's, and it's God himself and, and Jesus Christ in physical form in the Old, in Old Testament, and she says, Thou God seest me. So she views this as an appearance of of the Lord, of Jehovah. And I wish I had time to talk about the Old Testament, Old Testament appearances of Jesus Christ, but it happens pretty regularly. And, and I just want to say this, everywhere you look, you know, sometimes I think we separate the Old Testament and the New Testament. We say the Old Testament was about this thing, the New Testament is about Jesus. No, if you read the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. Jesus Christ is on every page. It's all pointing to Jesus Christ and once again, right here, it's pointing to Jesus Christ himself. Look at verse 8. 
And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. She says, I flee from the face of my mistress. And that answers the Lord's question. Now notice, though, the Lord asks two questions. He says, whither, he says, whence camest thou, which means where'd you come from? And whither, verse 8, whither wilt thou go? Where are you going? Notice, though, she only answers one question. Sarah, it says in verse, in verse 8, she says, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. So she answers the question, where are you coming from? But she doesn't answer the question, where are you going? See, the Lord asks, where are you coming from? Where are you going? And she says, I come from, from my mistress Sarah, but she doesn't even tell him where she's going because she doesn't know where she's going. See, and listen, this is, this is interesting to me um, because I do think that that is a cultural tendency. You know, they know what they don't want, but they have no idea where they're going to end up. You know, and you, you think about the movements, the modern movements today, and, you know, with all the gender movements and, and the sexual orientation movements. And listen, I'm not standing up here trying to be critical of those things. And I understand that people are, there are people that struggle with those things. I get it. But, but there's no telling where that ends up. You know, there's really no boundary. There's no moral boundary now, and that means there wouldn't be any moral boundary later. The definitions are always changing. Well, Sarai, um, sorry, Hagar, she, all she knows is, is what she was dealing with is not the right answer. And so she's just trying to get away from it. All she knew was that the influence that had put her in this mess, that's not the right way. So she's been subjected to a cultural mindset regarding motherhood, and she knows that's not the answer. You know, I'm, there, our culture has a lot to say about motherhood, but very little of it has any wisdom behind it. Our culture says things like this. Uh, children are expendable. Our, our, our culture about childhood or motherhood says a, a career is just as, if not, more important than children. Our culture says mothers who stay home and raise their children are living um, second best lives or second rate lives. They say, do it if you want to, but wait till you're ready. They say about motherhood, only do it if it doesn't interfere with your individual life plans. They say if it doesn't make you happy, you don't have to do it. As if your happiness is the key for every decision you make. Uh, and they say, don't start too early. You're going to miss out on some of the best years of your life. Don't, don't have too many because it will be overwhelming. And, and listen, I mean, one sometimes feels overwhelming, doesn't it? Um, if you have children, being that child's best friend is better than being their authority. You'll hurt their self-esteem. Or don't discipline them or you'll destroy their self-esteem. Or don't say no too much or you'll destroy their self-esteem. Or don't make them wait too long for something or you'll destroy their self-esteem. You see the pattern there? Don't give them too many rules or they will rebel. You know, the culture has a lot of ideas about motherhood, but very little of it is, is grounded in truth. And the culture has plenty of ideas, but I want you to notice from this very passage right here, when the culture takes motherhood into its own hands, which is what Abram and Sarai did, they took the, the thought, they took the act of motherhood or the role of motherhood, and they tried to define it how they wanted to. Did it leave Hagar better or worse than she was? Worse. Did it leave Abram and Sarah better or worse than they were? Worse. See, when we try to be the ones that define motherhood, when we try to let culture dictate what motherhood looks like, it never ends up right. 
And the reason for that is when you look through this story and you think about all the things I just listed that culture says about motherhood, what you see is a lot of selfishness. Everyone's really just about themselves. You know, Abram was selfish because he wanted a son and he bypassed God's plan. Sarai was selfish because, she, um, because after her plan backfired, she blamed Abram and dealt harshly with Hagar. Hagar is selfish because after, her, after, uh, because after she found out she's pregnant, she had a condescending spirit towards Sarai. And then she fled, even though she was pregnant, into the wilderness. And this, and this is the inherent problem with the cultural pressure that, when it comes to motherhood. And I truly believe it comes from a selfish place. Remember all the things that I was reading earlier. Think about all these. Children are expendable. They're inconvenient at times. A career is just as important. Your self-fulfillment is just as important. Um, mothers who stay at home raise their children. They're living second-rate lives. You know, do it if you want, but wait till you're ready. Wait till it's your time. Only do it if it doesn't interfere with your life plans. And if it doesn't make you happy, you don't have to. Don't start too early. You're going to miss out on the best years of your life. Do you see the theme there? That is really very, a very, comes from a very selfish place. That the culture's mindset toward motherhood really is a self-focused mindset. And it becomes very, you know, it's like, what do I want? What, what's easiest for me? And, or what's the most convenient for me? What, what interferes with my plans the least? What will get me what I want? It becomes very apparent very quickly that following the culture's lead does not take you to the places you want to go. As a matter of fact, it led Hagar to the wilderness. And if you follow the culture's cues when it comes to raising children, it will lead you into the wilderness, meaning you'll be somewhere with no answers. Raising a child from a motivation of selfishness will not produce the kind of child that we hope to have. So, so what's God's answer to, Abram, or to Hagar? Look at verse 9. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy, my, thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. In some ways, he goes on to make a covenant with Hagar. He says, I'm going to bless you abundantly. I'm going to do all these things for you. But what he is saying is, uh, you've been the victim of cultural pressure. But now I need you to submit yourself to the correct process. You need to stop letting culture's pressure dictate how you operate as a mother. And it's time for you to go back and submit yourself to the right process, the correct process. See, God made it clear here that she's better off submitting to his process than culture's pressure. And if the culture was all about selfishness, God's process is about submission. You say, well, you can't preach that in today's day and age. Nobody wants to hear about submission. Well, it's in the Bible. I have to. And listen, when I say submission, I don't mean that submission like you're on the floor and somebody stands over you like you're authority. No, I'm, not, I'm talking about submission to God's process. Because if there's ever a situation in a relationship where submission is treated like someone is less valuable than the other, that's not the way God did it at all. No, submission in this regard is about submitting to the process that will produce the results that you want. See, culture's pressure is all about selfishness, but the correct process is all about submission. Understand, it's easier to be selfish than submissive. And I know that's like a light bulb. Wow, I never knew that. Well, that's yeah, a pretty good insight there, huh? No, submission is, is hard. 
Submission to the process is hard. Hagar is having to submit to something that's difficult. Hagar had to return to Sarai. She had to humble herself. Submission to the process didn't feel as good as being selfish. Submission to the process was the opposite of what she wanted to do. But submission to the process was the qualification for God's blessings. Listen, this is important for us to know. Look at verse 10. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will... Okay, so there, I just want to stop there and say, I look at those words, I will. And when God says, I will, it means that what he, that's what he wants to see happen. That's his will. Submitting to God's process is the only sure way to get him involved in the process. It's the only way that, that we guarantee that he's a part of it. He will, okay, what will he do? Well, he said, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly. That's what he wants to do. Here's the thing. God promises to bless the mom who submits to the process. And he says, I will multiply exceedingly. That's super abundant type language. And submission to God's process enables his abundant help through the process. So understand, you don't get help from God unless you submit to doing things his ways. And we're very good at trying to figure out how to do things our way and yet still think that God's going to somehow come in and help us through that. No, we have to do it his way if we want his help. And that's the truth, that's the principle that comes out is that submission to God's ways, to God's processes, enable his abundant help. And we'll get to application here in just a moment. It is God's will, friends, moms, it is God's will to abundantly bless the mother that willingly submits to his process. And here's where we get to the core of the truth. Motherhood, you face a continual conflict between the cultural pressure of selfishness and the correct process of submission. The, process, the pressure of the culture is so appealing. Listen, it's all about you. And that is appealing I mean, who doesn't want to live life that's all about me and all the things that I want and, and it's all on my terms and it's all about my convenience, but God's plan for motherhood is on the basis of submission to a process. And if a mother will choose to deny herself and embrace submission to the process, she ensures God's blessings on that endeavor. God's blessing in raising children is dependent on whether or not a mother is willing to be content submitting to the correct process. God's message to Hagar was this, even when it's hard. You think that Hagar turning around and walking back to Sarai's tent, do you think that was an easy thing to do? No, he says, even when it's hard and even though it's hard and even though you'd rather do something else and even, though, even if it doesn't qualify as that which feels convenient and even if it's difficult, listen, Hagar, all I need you to do is to submit to the process. See, what feels best is to embrace yourself. But what is the best is to embrace submission to God's process. Self leaves no room for God. Submission ensures his blessings. So God said, Hagar, even when it's hard, and even when the nights are long, and even though you'll have to be humble and selfless, your best choice is to be content in the process. So what does the process look like then? Well, the process is to place ourselves under the direction of God's word. 
I mean, not the cultural pressure or our own thoughts and our own tendencies. And I'm not even going to get into a lot of the details today regarding God's process, although I think that would be helpful, but the text doesn't necessarily deal with that. So I'm going to point out that the Bible has many principles that guide a mother with instruction and direction. I mean, it says things like train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. It talks about teaching, Deuteronomy 6, teaching our children God's word. In Matthew 6, it talks about putting God first. It talks about being willing to correct them, being willing to train them, being willing to discipline them. It talks about loving God with all of our heart. Those are all things that we should be giving to our children. But what I have learned is that it's not so much about knowing what to do. It's about doing what we know. Meaning, I think most of us have a good idea of what God's word says that we should be as parents. But I don't think that's the major challenge. I don't think the major challenge is I just don't know. I know, I think the biggest challenge, the biggest difficulty in motherhood is not doing what you know uh, or knowing what you to do. It's doing what you know. It's the fact that, do I really believe that when the nights are long and the days are difficult and I'm not seeing much of a change and I'm not really seeing any progress, do I really believe that just continuing to do what God has told me to do, do I really believe that will produce the best results? It's, those, it's when it gets difficult that we have to decide, am I going to continue to just submit to the process and trust that God will turn this into something good? For moms with little ones at home, you know, your days are long and sometimes the nights are longer. I was just talking to a mom before church. said, did you get much sleep last night? And the parent, no, there wasn't much sleep had last night. And they always do it on Saturday nights too, by the way. They tag, we used to say our kids had a schedule, a rotation. They'd have staff meetings when we went to bed and say, okay, you've got Monday night, you've got Tuesday. We just really need to make sure somebody's got Saturday night. You know, if you're not up for it, we'll just tag team, okay? You get two hours, I'll get two hours. We'll do shifts, make sure mom and dad never sleep, okay? You know, you don't get much sleep, but you're still expected to do what moms do. And, and there won't be accolades. And you probably won't sense any immediate results from the efforts I mean, they're little. It's easy to grow weary when you don't see much progress. And, and it's kind of a pattern of discipline and potty training and, and, and a, new, a dirty house every morning. You know, you know so while people are singing, you know, mercies are new every morning. Well, no, a dirty house is new every morning. And the process is, I mean, it's just like never ending. The cycle is, I know, I remember those days and our, our youngest is eight now. We're kind of getting out of that, that phase. But I mean, you still feel uh, the process is uh, never ending. Uh, the, the, bad, the child's bad habits, the child's disobedience, um, the, the child's tendencies, you just can't seem to break them even though you know, you're training and you're helping them and, and you're working and you're, you're putting in effort and nobody seems all that concerned. And maybe like verse 12, you know, and he will be a wild man. And you've got a couple of those in your house. And his hand, it says, his hand will be against every man. And every man's hand will be against him. And it's like, you've got one. It seems like no matter what they do, they're always 100%. They're always climbing up a wall. They're always breaking something. And their hand is against everybody. There's always a conflict. Maybe you've got one of those. You know, you just think, well, is this ever going to end? Is this phase ever going to be done? And the culture says, here's what the culture pressure is. The culture says what you're doing doesn't matter that much. 
The culture says what you're doing is second rate. And in the grand scheme of things, it's not even that important. No, what really matters is your career. So you should think about doing something different. No, what really matters is that you can travel like you want. So you should start making some adjustments. No, what matters is that you're successful or that you have your own money and that you have your own freedom of schedule, that you fulfill yourselves. And then a mom has to daily withstand the pressure of the culture that says you could do anything else and it would be more satisfying than what you're doing. That's what the culture is telling you. And some days it might feel that way. You know, and you think, well, it'll get better when they're older. Well, in some days it does. But the problems just kind of get more complex. You know, meaning they, they get deeper and you, you have to have better answers then because I said so. You have to have better reasons. And you trade the weight of, of potty training, which is, it's heavy, I know, for the weight of, of managing things like social media and peer pressure, and technology. And you'll still wish you could flee into the wilderness sometimes. And, and, and when there's still not much progress, you think, will they ever get it? And they're 16, and they're still not getting it. And I just don't understand. And you have to be able to go back to God's promises and realize the mindset is still the same. Submit to the process, not your preferences, not your pet peeves, not even what you'd rather do, and just trust God's process be content with God's process and when the days are long and the answers aren't clear and when it doesn't seem to be working if you will do what you know long enough God promises his blessings and some days you just need to remember a truth like Galatians 6 9 let us not be weary in well-doing but in for in due season we shall reap if we faint not but how do we know I mean, how do we know this is really how it all turns out? How do I, how do I really know that I've, I've submit, yeah, I know it says it here, but how do I really know? Well, I want to point out two truths from this passage that I think provide hope. Look at verse 11. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. First of all, I just want to point out that the Lord was listening. The Lord was aware of Hagar's situation. The Lord knew that Hagar was in this position because of cultural pressure and, that, and, the, and it was hard on her and he knew how hard it was. He was aware. He was aware that she was in the wilderness. You know, the Lord came to her. So he knew right where she was, he was listening, and obviously at some point she had cried out to God because he says, the Lord hath heard thee. And so moms, I just want to point out today that when you think that you're in the wilderness and that no one is listening, somebody's listening. The Lord hath heard thee. And when you think that maybe nobody sees the sacrifices that you make or how hard it really is, no, the Lord knows and he has heard you. And not only that, look at verse 13. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, thou God seest me. 
For she said, have I also here looked after him that seeth me? In other words, am I seeing the one that, that sees me? I mean, is it, is it the same one? No, Hagar gives God a name and she calls him El Roi, which means the God who sees me. See, here's Hagar, moms. Here's Hagar in the wilderness, throat dry. I mean, she, she feels like it might all be over. And it's not worth it. And yet God saw her the whole time. I mean, no one seemed to care. No one seemed to notice. And yet this mother who had been burned by the culture and was, she was crying out in a moment of dry loneliness and God saw her. And moms, I hope that you see the parallel here is that God loves mothers. He chased one into the wilderness. And in your toughest moments, in your moments of the wilderness, when you feel like nobody hears and nobody sees, I can tell you one thing, that God has not forgotten you. He hears your cries and he sees your plight and he cares. And all he asks is not that you come up with a plan. He doesn't even say you need to figure it out, you need to have a strategy, you need to tell me the steps that you're going to take. No, all he asks is that you lay aside self and just continue to submit to his process. He told her to submit back to where you're supposed to be. And if you'll do that, I will bless you. He says, be content with the process. Understand, it feels long and hard and it's like a wilderness. But if you will simply do what the process demands, I will continue to hear and see you. That's what he says. And listen, the world may never notice but God's promises multiplied, God promises multiplied blessings to the mother who simply trusts him enough to be content with his process. And it may seem like the product will never come. You know what? That's not even your concern. See, if you, if you sit, will simply be content, and here's where we get, we get mixed up. See, we think that, if we, that we've got to figure out how to turn this into the right product. But that's not the challenge that God gave Hagar. No, he said, no, I just need you to submit to the process. I'm not asking you to understand how it all works out in the end. I simply need you to put yourself in the place that every day you're submitting to the process that I have put into your life. I mean, I, there's a lot of things we do that we don't fully understand how it all works. I mean, every day I get into my car and I'm telling you, I'm not a mechanic. I put gas in that thing and I expect it to drive. And I'm thankful for the chambers at the garage because they help keep me going when it doesn't. But you know, I, I don't have to understand how it all works together. I just have to know that, okay, listen, I'm going to put gas in the, in the car and I'm going to drive it and it's going to get me from point A to point B. I don't have to understand the intricate workings of what's going on to benefit from that. And sometimes I think that moms, we think, well, how is it going to work? How does it end? What's the product going to be like? God doesn't tell her, listen, uh, here's the strategy. No, he just says, submit to my plan. Submit to my process. Just put yourself in the position where you're submitting to the process that I laid forth. And I will make all of the other things come together. I will take care of the final product. And see, the truth is, moms, every disciple is called to set self aside and submit to a process. 
And sometimes I think, moms, maybe you, we think, or you think that, you know, that, it's, that you're the only one to have. No, listen, every disciple of Christ is asked to say no to self and yes to God. We're all asked to live for something bigger than ourselves. In God's kingdom, that's all of our, that's all of our call. And, and it's not just in God's economy. You think about it, employees have to submit every day. Sons and daughters and, and, if, and husbands have to submit to God's plan as a husband. Dads have to submit to God's plan, plan to a process. And we're all called to say no to self and yes to submission. And when we do, listen, moms, when we do submit, God sees and he hears and he cares. And he knows where you're at. And it may feel like a wilderness, but I can tell you this, you're not alone. It may feel like a long process, but I can tell you this, you're not alone. You have not been forgotten. And it's not your job to make the product. It's your job to submit to the process. And you say, well, this sounds really hard. Yep. But before, pay attention here, before you think submission means a second-rate life, I just want to remind you that your Savior, Jesus Christ, submitted himself to a bigger plan. And, and I use this as an example all the time, but I think we could apply, we could bring Jesus Christ in at the end of every message and be reminded of this. That when he was in the garden, his human self did not want to have to go through what he knew was coming. Yet he was willing to submit to that because there was something bigger at stake. And he said no to himself in the garden and said yes to a cross. He died, was shamed, was killed, was buried, rose again, and ascended to heaven. And now the Bible says in Philippians, because he was willing to submit himself to the cross and to death for the benefit of you and I, God, wherefore God also has highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You understand that the, the reason he was able to receive the superabundant blessings of exaltation was because he was willing to submit to the super humble moments of God's process. Those moments of submission to the hard parts of the process are what allowed Jesus Christ to be exalted the way that he was. And for moms in here this morning, your decision to just submit to the hard moments of the process will someday enable God's blessings. And you don't know what it's going to look like. You don't know how the children will turn out. But that's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is simply to submit to his process and every day do what you know you're supposed to do and let him take care of how it all turns out. Jesus Christ did it and it resulted in our salvation and his exaltation. And if you do it, it will result in God's blessings in your life. And listen, before you think that submitting to a process is unfair, just remember God's own son did the same. And this, you know, this last week, our oldest, our oldest daughter, Olivia, she's, she's in college. And she just finished her finals this week. So I'm telling you, that's, that was an intense, intense week for mom. I think, I think mom should get about, you know, half of whatever grade she gets in those classes. 
Is that, and Jason, she'll call mom and say, I've got to work on this project. It's too hard. Jason, Jason got to the point the other night. He was like, he went up to mom's on the phone. He's like, we want our mom back. <laughs> it's like, thank you, Jace. <laughs> you know, it's, it reminds me, because she had a class this week. And it was her hardest class, her most intense class, the most homework. And she was worried about the final. And to that point, she'd gotten A's in all of her classes, and she's shooting for her 4.0, and because she's a child that has unrealistic expectations. So she, she called us on Thursday, and she's all happy, and we're like, oh, what's this? Who is this person? It's finals week. You're not supposed to be happy. And she said, well, i just telling you, I went to my class, and before the test started, he called out names, and he started with mine. He said, Olivia Jett, and called out a few more names. He said, because you all have a certain grade in this class, you are exempt from the final. And she said, but I studied. You can't, no, just kidding. <laughs> Why couldn't you tell me last night? No. It's like, he's like, zero, no. No, she's like, thank you, Lord. So she walked out and she called mom and dad. She had her last final on on Friday, and she was a little worried about that. She called us and said she got some ridiculously high score. She got all A's. She's all happy, okay? It's not bragging. I'm, I, I wanna, I'm getting to a point. My point is, I remember when that girl was about four years old, and we, we were starting school, and I remember all the days, plenty of days, where the lessons were hard, and mom was frustrated because she's got a four-year-old she's starting school and and a three-year-old who Audrey who won't, who won't stop turning on all the light switches in the house and Caitlin who's an infant and I don't even want to start with her problems but <laughs> you know and there are plenty of days were hard is my point and in the middle of the days the process seemed it's never going to end and, and now, you know, and I'm not to brag, she got straight A's. And I'm looking at it now, and I have nothing to do with me. It's all mom. But I'm thankful that in the middle of the moments that seem the hardest, that God says, if you'll just keep doing what you're supposed to do, listen, my blessings will come. And it may not look like what you thought it was going to look like. And it may not even, it may not be remotely close to your expectations. But, but your job is not to think about 18 years down the road. Your job is to think about today. And if you will just think about today and do everything you can in submission to my process in 18 years, I'll let you see what that turns into. And I just want to tell the moms in here, it's worth it. Our kids aren't even grown. I'm not even saying that. My point, I, mean, well, I don't know what all my children will end up doing, but I'm telling you, it's worth it. And I can't even say that I know what it, your situation will be someday. But I do know this. If you will submit to the hard moments of the process, God promises an overabundant multiplication of his blessings. You don't have to worry about how it turns out. And you don't have to make it all perfect. 
If you'll just, in the mess of life, do everything you can to submit to the daily process, God promises to do everything he can to bless you abundantly. And the only real hope I can give to moms today is that. I don't know what the future holds, but I do know that in the moments that are hardest, if you will submit, God promises his blessings. And like Hagar, who was in the wilderness, he hasn't forgotten you. He knows where you are. He has heard your cry. And he sees you. And if you don't get anything else out of this message, remember that in your hardest moments, you have a God that cares and hears and sees you. Just trust him. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.